Adonai Had. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This morning uh, we are again in the Sermon on the Mount. This is the sixth chapter beginning in verse 25 when Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about what you are to eat or what you are to drink. Don't worry about your life and don't worry about your body, what you are to wear. For is not life more than what you eat and what you drink and is not the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the field. They do not reap, they do not sow and they do not reap and they don't gather into barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they are? And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? And so don't worry about clothes and what you are to wear. Uh, Look at the flowers in the field. They don't toil or spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his splendor was not dressed as these. And if God cares for these flowers who these of the field who are here today and tomorrow in the fire how much more will he care about you make sure i'm right well, i know he's right that he cares about you so do not worry asking what are we to eat and what are we to drink and and what are we to wear For the pagans run after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has troubles of its own. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Years ago, the founder of the Mayo Clinic made this observation. He said, many more people die from worrying about work than from actually doing the work itself. And I think that probably hits pretty well on where the Bible is. The Bible seems to be of a single mind about worry. Back in the Psalms, it says, don't worry, it only leads to evil. And when he's telling the parable of the sower in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus says that the worries of this world choke out the word of God and choke out The work of God. And then, of course, today in this passage, Jesus says twice to us, do not worry. And yet, on the other hand, it's pretty normal for us to worry. Uh, And so what I want to do, though, when I invite you to not worry this morning is I want to tell you that it's normal to care about things. That's probably why we worry. And when I say to you, don't worry, I'm not saying don't be concerned. Uh, there are things about which to be concerned. Paul writes the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 25 and 26. And he talks about all the things he's concerned about. And he says, and then on top of that, I have all these churches. He was concerned. You heard from Adam this morning and Adam and the rest of us on the Burundi team. We go to Burundi because of your concern and our concern. We care. So when I say don't worry, I'm not saying don't be concerned. And then when I say don't worry, I'm not saying don't do anything. Uh, because you'll note Jesus talks about the birds of the, of the air, but they still have to gather what God has 
provided for them and make nests and feed themselves. In fact, you'll remember the story from the Old Testament when the slaves escaped through the Red Sea, then they got hungry. And so God gave them manna from heaven. But God said, you got to go pick it up. So every morning they had to go pick up the bread from heaven. And if it was a Sabbath, they had to, getting ready for the Sabbath, they had to pick up two days worth so they wouldn't be doing it on the Sabbath. So when I say, um, do not worry, I'm not saying don't do anything. The ants and Proverbs are praised because they are industrious. And then I'm also, when I say don't worry, I'm not saying to you that God expects you to have a stress-free life. In fact, stress is very important to our life, a certain amount of stress, and can actually be helpful in some regard. I suppose if it wasn't for stress, I wouldn't ever have something written before Sunday morning when I stood up here. Uh, stress is significant and, and actually can make us stronger in some ways. A Christian activist, Shane Claiborne, made this observation years ago. He said, God doesn't want for anybody a struggle-free life because those people who struggled never develop empathy for other people. Those people who never struggle, never realize and come to the realization of their own limitations, where they stop and, and where God uh, can be counted on to begin. Those people who never struggle don't ever develop uh, endurance and the ability to, to stay with things. And people who never struggle, uh, he said, develop unrealistic expectations about life. They think life should always be handed to them. So when I say don't worry, I'm not saying don't care. I'm not saying don't do anything. And I'm not saying God wants you to have it easy all of your life. When we talk about worry, we're talking about an over uh, emphasis on our anxiety, being over anxious about things that are both real and imagined uh, that perhaps are causing us trouble or opposing us in life. One definition I love, uh, or actually probably a quip about worry, is to call worry uh, interest paid on borrowed trouble. And sometimes we kind of, uh, both real or imagined, bring extra things into the equation. That would be worry. Matt Scott's preaching on this topic in the gym this morning. And, and he found for me, I think, helpful uh, distinctions from the Meyer Clinic, um, a group of psychiatrists. And the Meyer Clinic defines fear as you have fear when there is a real, visible, and actual threat in front of you. Now, anxiety, they defined as when you think about the possibility of, of something threatening you. And then worry is when you decide to live uh, consistently in a state of anxiety. You consistently decide to worry about possibilities that aren't even actual threats uh, yet. So when we think about uh, worry, we think about that. And that's the kind of worry I think that Jesus found, finds not very helpful. I think it's harmful, but he would say, at the very least, it's not helpful. And he talks about, I think, a couple ways that it's not helpful. First of all, it's not helpful to worry because it's a big time waster. Which of you, he said, could add an hour to your life by worrying, but you can lose lots of time through worrying? I love what our liturgist Chris says about worry. He said, worry is like a rocking chair. And it gives you something to do, but you never get anywhere. And that's a little bit like worry. And a lot of things we worry about just never come close to happening. You'll remember the great line from Winston Churchill who said, the worst things in my life never happened. And perhaps he was uh, uh, picking up on a theme from Mark Twain. Mark Twain put it this way. The greatest disasters in my life never occurred. There's a sense I have a, uh, when we worry about things that even haven't materialized. I have a friend who says, I should worry more because the things I worry about never take place. 
Well, that may be not an argument to worry more, but actually an argument to worry less. So Jesus don't, doesn't uh, feel that it's particularly productive for us. The other thing I think that's even more insidious is worry eats into our trust in God and our relationship with God. Um, years ago, when I was in seminary, which was back before the personal computer, uh, the leading expert in North America on the Sermon on the Mount was a guy named W.D. Davies, and I actually had him uh, for a, a seminar one time. But I, I remember this, what he said about the Sermon on the Mount. This part was, he said, um, what worry does is it pushes God out of the picture. One of the things that worry does is, is it turns our focus from God to ourselves. Or another way to say it is we take our eyes off the abundant resources of God and we switch our eyes to the limited resources that we have. And so uh, as, as we worry, our relationship with God is not strengthened. It's actually weakened and uh, and and we are brought distance from God. And it's just a complete misreading of God who is always there for us and and is always on our side. Uh, one of the stories um, that I like about this comes from a bishop, and it was uh, a few centuries ago, and he was worried so much about all his churches. He would get up early to pray for them, stay up late at night praying for them. So one night he's staying up late agonizing in prayer for his many churches, and the voice of God speaks to him and says, Bishop, you ought to go to bed. And he said, he says, oh, no, Lord, I, I have all these churches that, that I'm worried about and I have to pray for. And apparently God said to him, you go on to bed. I'll be up all night. There's a sense sometimes worry uh, leads us to forget that God is, in fact, present night shift and day shift already working and moving in things about which we're concerned. And, and it's just a way of beginning to push God out of the equation. In fact, worry is really, I think, a way of taking control. Yeah, we, we feel like we can't do something about a situation, so we worry, so we feel like we're at least doing something. And it switches uh, control from God back to ourselves where we think it rightfully belongs. But it's usually not very productive and begins to eat away at our relationship with God and our trust in God. It's a wonderful story about Martin Luther. He would debate the great questions of the day theologically with a man named uh, Philip Melanchthon. And so one day they finished their debate and, and, they're, and they're getting ready to go back home. And Melanchthon says to Martin Luther, tomorrow we shall debate the governance of the universe. And Martin Luther's response to him was, no, tomorrow we will go fishing and leave the governance of the universe to God. And I think there's something about worry that, that begins to try to push God off that throne. And then there's not, God is pushed out of the picture. So it's not productive and it actually becomes harmful to our relationship with God. So worry is not particularly helpful. Well, what can we do then? How can we handle worry? I think Jesus gives really two excellent, practical, concrete suggestions. The first one is this. He said, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. And in other words, the kingdom of God are God's purposes, the things God wants done to make the world as God intended it. One of the ways the Jews used to talk about it, which Jesus would have understood and known, was I want to make the earth a place where God would feel at home. Then when God, God is here, God's like, oh yeah, this is exactly as I want it. So to focus on the kingdom of God is to focus on those things that help the world become more as God intends. And as I do that, my worry begins to dissipate in proportion to my focus on the things of God. It, it, one of the things it does for me is it really puts things, when I think about the kingdom of God, it puts things in perspective. 
Because I can take any issue about which I'm worrying and I can say, okay, on a scale of one to ten, how close is this to knocking God off his eternal throne? Whatever it is, I can tell you, it doesn't rank very high. It doesn't come very close to pushing the God of the universe off the throne. So I get, in a sense, sort of a a reality check on where where things are. One of the lines you'll hear quoted here and in in the sanctuary and in the gym around this church is from the late Dallas Willard, who said his observation of Jesus was this, that Jesus acted as if the universe was a perfectly safe place in which to exist. Now, Jesus knew there were troubles. I mean, look what happened to Jesus. He knew there were problems, but he knew that none of it, none of it pushed God off the throne. That ultimately all of it would be under God's hands. And so therefore, wherever we are and whatever we face, we find it a safe place to be. So when I seek first the kingdom of God, I'm reminded that God is on the throne. Another thing that does for me is I'm reminded I'm a child of God. And we've talked about this before, but it's been a long time. It is our firm belief in this church that every one of us in Christ is a beloved son or daughter of the Heavenly Father. But one of the reasons we forget this is that we never uh, get involved in the family business. We never get involved in the things of God, and so pretty soon we forget our identity, and all of a sudden we're floating loose again as free agents wondering whether we are loved or not. So when I get involved in the things of God, it reminds me, oh yeah, this is family business. I'm part of what God's doing in this world. It lifts my esteem and my identity, which, by the way, also lowers the amount of worry in my life. So I get perspective. I get a sense of, of my identity when I seek first the kingdom of God. I also get something to do. You'll probably remember the great uh, uh, advice from uh, Carl Menninger. Uh, um, and uh, the founder of the Menninger Clinic. And uh, one day a woman came to him and uh, because uh, she was so down and just hardly felt like doing anything. And so one day was really a bad day for her. And so she called Dr. Menninger and was saying this was a down day. Uh, now, I'm not talking, I mean, I know depression has chemical things. I'm, I'm just talking about just down and not wanting to do stuff. And so she said that to Dr. Menninger, and he said, here's my suggestion. He said, take all the energy you can. I want you to get dressed. I want you to get in your car, and I want you to go across town, find somebody in need, and do something for them. There was some sense if we can focus on something, gives us something to do, we will worry Less, Or as one author put it this way, he said, when we, uh, when we do something about the problems of the world, we won't be worrying about the problems in the world because we're actually doing something about them. So, you know, when I think, what does God want done? And I try to be a part of that, my worry goes down. So that was his first piece of advice. His second piece of advice, I think, is also very practical, which is basically living today. He says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Today is actually the only moment in which you have to live. Today is the only moment in which you have to be in relationship with God, to be in relationship with other people. And today is the only day you can do anything about the past or the future. You can only do that today. One of my mentors from a distance is Jonathan Sachs, a a great uh, uh, teacher, chief rabbi of of the United Kingdom for more than 20 years. And he said this, he said, the only thing you can do about the past is to forgive And the only thing you can do about the future is to live well today. 
And so he says, your only way to live in time is to actually live in this present moment. Some people talk about living in day-tight compartments, where this day is sealed up and we try not to let the past or the future come in on it and we live present. Jean Venier is famous for starting large communities. And large is for people with significant disabilities and handicapping conditions. But Jean Venier once said this, he said, God gives us wings, but God never gave us wings to fly any further than today. It's about where God wants us to go, is to live this day today and live this day well. I read about a bumper sticker in California, and I know you've seen bumper stickers even here on cars that say, I'd rather be fishing, or I'd rather be playing tennis, or I'd rather be with this you know, breed of dog or whatever. You know, so... But he said in California, a guy said he saw this on a bumper sticker. I'd rather be here now. I don't think you can top that for getting to what Jesus is saying on on the Sermon on the Mount. That's the only place in which you can live. And if you live there well, you'll forgive what has come before, your role and others, and you will live well today that will prepare for uh, the future. Today is the only day. Uh, that that we that we have, and so we live it. And uh, the better that we live it, the better the future will be for us, because it is the only time. There's a great rabbi who some years ago would always make his students memorize what he called the three key rules of checkers. And so all of his students, in addition to memorizing the text, or what we call the Older Testament, had to memorize these three rules. Number one is, you cannot make two moves at one time. You can do one thing, you do one thing at a time, you do the thing that's in front of you. Second rule, you can only go forward, you cannot go backward. There's no going back into the past and dwelling there. And then the third one is this, and when you get to the end of the board, you can go anywhere you want. I think that's part of what Jesus is saying on the Sermon on the Mount. That all we can do is what's in front of us at this time. And we can only do that today. But because God is still on the throne and our problems will not knock God off the throne, then one day we know we can go any direction and do anything because he's there. But for, but for today, we worry less. We live more in the present.